It's true that some things change as we get older. But if you're a woman over 40 and you're dealing with insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, and weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. And with MIDI Health, you can get help and stop pushing through it alone. The experts at MIDI understand that all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes that happen around menopause. And MIDI can help you feel more like yourself again. Many healthcare providers aren't trained to treat or even recognize menopause symptoms. MIDI clinicians are menopause experts. They're dedicated to providing safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions for dozens of hormonal symptoms, not just hot flashes. Most importantly, they're covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. You deserve to feel great. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. Every year, one thing is always predictable. Postage costs go up. Stamps.com gives you crazy discounts for up to 89% off USPS and UPS services, so your business will barely notice the change. Stamps.com has been indispensable for over 1 million businesses just like yours. It's like your own personal post office. No lines, no traffic, no waiting. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. Mr. Telescope has a very strange collection. That's right, it is very strange. Because for the last 15 years, Mr. Ron Telescope of Nortwizzle on the Splang has been collecting dead, shrink-wrapped fish. That's right, you've hit the nail on the head right there, Joseph, my dear weasel creature. Yes, you have. And I guess the question everyone listening at home has is why? And I would say, Madeline, if you don't mind me being forward, that they are probably asking the wrong question. I would say the real question should probably be, why? That is the question. And so it should be. 1,500 of the damn things I have now, mackerel, pike, cod, blunt-nosed minnows, carpet sharks, and even about 14 African glass catfish. So how did the collection start, then? Well, it's funny you should ask that, Gladys. Is it? Not really, no. It all started a cold, wet, cold, grey, cold, hot, humid, nay, almost tropical, pert April morning in late autumn. There I was, minding my own business, going down to my local 8-till-late shop to buy some pasteurised banana supplements and bags full of frozen sick. And I met an old man. He said his name was Fluffy Drawers, but judging by his filthy tartan shortened trousers and the dead bat-stained trench coat he was wearing, I would have said his name was more like Gerald or something. Anyway, he opened the aforementioned coat to reveal three or four prime and shiny orange-striped triggerfish, freshly sealed in plastic, stapled to the loud lemon-yellow lining of his crushed velvet blazer. Well, he said I could have them for free as long as he was allowed to rub my kneecaps three times for good luck. Well, I obliged. Although he failed to tell me about the marmalade and the grunting noises, I found the sensation rather pleasing. He gave me the fish and I headed home. My wife, who I had loved dearly, had long since left me, taking the children, the dog, and my box of highly valuable rubberized fetish pants. I don't blame her. I'd left for the supermarket in 1975. It's just quite a ways away, you know. 
Anyway, since I was now alone, I had a jolly good cry, drank my body weight in lighter fluid and horse piss, got addicted to heroin, got weaned off heroin, punched a policeman in the cock, and bared my buttocks to Vin Diesel at a red carpet event. Then I decided, you know what, why don't you give those trigger fish a home and some companions? After a little harmless public googling, I went home, looked up online, found a place in India that sold them and shipped them to Puerto Vallarta, where I now trek once a month with only my stuffed camel Basil for company. Sorry, Mr. Tambourine. That's Telescope. Right, right, Mr. Telescope. Have you ever asked a question and then, as the answer is forthcoming, sincerely wish you hadn't? Only the time I asked that wizard where babies come from. So, lastly, as we ran out of time about 17 minutes ago, what do you see in the future for your collection of shrink-wrapped fish? In eight words or less, please. Well... That's one already. I think I'll probably keep collecting. I have my eye on an orbicular batfish. Ow! What you do that for? That was well over eight words. Klaus, the shackles and the rubber tubing, please. This master. And that's all from Tabitha's Dungeon for this week. Next week we have the severed head of Nigel Havers and watch Randy Quaid on a scooter evade the FBI dressed as a pantomime Loch Ness monster hosted by Norman Splash all over my lunch. Don't wriggle, Mr. Telescope, and stop whinging. You've brought this on yourself. And now to play us out, it's the band of the Royal Light Infantry Gnome Men and their aunties with their rendition of a theme from an after-movie diner. Good night. everybody and welcome back to the diner and it's one of our special comic book episodes this week uh, and it's fantastic as always when we do the comic book movie episodes to uh, reintroduce and welcome back onto the show uh, the wonderful the splendid uh, the always thinking always talking always intelligent uh, always enormously haired the splendid uh, David DeMoss go right ahead sir Thank you once again for having me, John. And no uh, and it's the X Men, yay! I yes, mean, shit. It's <laughs> the X Men special to coincide with the release of the Wolverine, currently in theaters, uh, which I saw last night. And I was reading your Twitter feed, and I saw you saw the other day as well. I did. Yes, uh, I totally did. I saw it yesterday morning, um, in my usual theater on the. The vaguely bad side of town, and yeah, um, it was quite nice. Yeah, well, dis- de- it was nice to see uh, nice to see X Men with an audience again. I missed First Class when it came out, right? Uh, because I was so I was just burnt out um, on the subject uh, entirely. But um, yeah, it was nice to see the uh, yeah the general re- immediate reactions of the crowd um, as as we watched uh, the. Further Adventures of Logan San. Yeah, it's it's well, it's had a great opening day. Uh, the Friday it took twenty one million, which is uh, a pretty good opening day, I think. Right? Oh, well, yeah, that's okay for this time of year. Yeah, it's um, respect- was it respect- the only thing? The only thing Fox will care about is uh, was it number one? It yeah. was number one. Yes. Then, then everybody's jobs are secure. Everyone can relax and open their sphincters. But they're but they're already making the next one uh, as the uh, yeah as, days of future past. 
Yes. So it's okay. Yeah. So it's really, well, it's really kind of up in the air um, at this point. It's success or failure uh, is not, uh, will not affect the wider franchise too awful much. Uh, It might affect the general, uh, you know, turn of Hugh Jackman's acting producing career. Um, But, you know, either way, that's neither here nor there. The point is a new Wolverine movie. Yes. And And we we will be talking about it. Uh, at the end of the episode, so that we I was going to I was going to ask if you wanted to go chronological with this, or if you wanted to get the any immediate things off of your chest. Um, yeah, we're going to do we're going to do uh, chronological, uh, but awesome. but before we start on the X Men, because it has been my uh, season of it was number one. It was number one yesterday, according to Box Office Mojo. Okay, then I ex- that I, I expected that. Yes. yes. Well, the other ones have all been out a while. The Conjuring yeah. uh, has been out a week or two weeks, and mm-hmm. uh, that made seven. Despicable Me 2 is number three. Turbo is number four. Grown Ups is number five. Uh, uh-huh. Red 2 is number six. Oh, dear. Red 2 not making a lot of money at the moment. It's only its second week out. Uh, not Pacific- surprised. Uh, it, wasn't, it wasn't bad, actually. It was okay. It wasn't, wasn't too awful. Uh, then you've got... Yeah, Pacific- ah, but I'm, I'm not surprised because it is not as popular a comic book as it should be right and also the first one was something of a sleeper hit i have gone back and the same reason right (laughs) right i have subsequently gone back and watched the first one again a couple of times on blu-ray the first one gets better and better the more you watch it uh the second one was an average sequel it wasn't like a blow your mind wow they've done it again type sequel but it, it also didn't um fall into the uh, Die Hard uh, 5, Bruce Willis is sleepwalking uh, through this uh, thing. He actually seemed to be there, although... If someone rec- shocked him with a cattle prod. Yes, before. if recent reports from uh, his British press tour uh, have, have anything to say about it, he is, however, sleeping through the press again, like he did with Die Hard 5, where he was on the one show and seemed to sleep through an interview, and then this time he was on some radio show in England and seemed to be being a mammoth prick uh, with the interviewer there. So that was... That would be the Bruce Willis we know and some of us (laughs) love, right? The recent Bruce Willis, public persona. He used to be a a little bit more cheeky and happy and uh, happy-go-lucky. However, it has been the summer season so far for me of making and having unpopular opinions um, in terms of big blockbusters and how I felt about them. First up was Man of Steel, which I downright loathed and would put on my my top ten worst films I've ever had to sit through ever. Um, because you are a wanker. Yes, yeah. thank you. And also because I recognize insanely inept direction when I see it. Uh, it was... Certainly, it, it 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 wasn't necessarily the worst script I've ever seen, and and all the actors were absolutely fine. Although I would still say that Amy Adams was badly cast. My main problem with it was is the direction and the cinematography, uh, and the staging and the blocking and all that was downright some of the worst I've seen outside of fucking student movies when I was sixteen. Oh so. please! If it starred Jason Statham, you would masturbate to it nightly. 
just like I do. Not at all. And I, honestly, <laughs> not at all. If it was that badly filmed and the CGI was that questionable, no. Uh, it could star anyone, and I would have an issue with it. Although I agree, Statham would have made it slightly better. But of course, <laughs> I'm just—that's a joke, didn't you know? It. Uh, I know. I oh, a, I know. I had a major problem with Man of Steel, and and it wasn't like everyone has also accused me of a problem before I went in. I know everyone thinks you would have had a problem because it's Hack Snyder and blah 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 blah. No. But see, I was I was amazed. Um, he he fell out of love with slow motion and in love with shaky cam. Someone shocked him with a cattle prod <laughs> at some point. But look, uh, man, and it changed some chemical makeup in his brain. I consider this a marked improvement. Really? Uh, over yes, over yeah. good lord, over three hundred, over the dare I say, Dawn of the Dead. Jesus Christ. Well, they're all awful films, but I would take, I want to see him beaten to death with a tripod just so he knows what he's missing. But that being said. He is is so far down the list of people who need that. um, Not after Man of Steel. It was so shockingly inept. And it wasn't just the. Well, that's your list. I'm talking about my list. Right. And, you know, I found that to actually speak for uh, the. um, To actually speak for. Uh, an opposing viewpoint rather than just being you attempting to speak for an opposing viewpoint. Right. Uh, I found uh, <laughs> Man of Steel a d- deeply uh, rich and uh, wonderfully entertaining film that okay. uh, succeeded beyond uh, any expectations that I had for it, which I will freely admit were completely in the toilet before I walked into it. Right. Uh, that damn thing turned me com- turned me right round. And uh, it is the Superman reboot I have been waiting for for about 15 years or so. Right. And Possibly, uh, quite poss- frankly, I'm sick to death of hearing you bitch and moan about it. Like it was the worst movie ever. When we both know that is not far, far from true. We know what films you've watched, sir. True. Yeah, I mean, but I can, also, I can also tell you that the majority of the films I watch, I can sit through to the end, even the bad ones, I can sit through to the end without a problem. Uh, Man of Steel I came very close to walking out of and the only uh, Pacific Rim which we're going to move on and quickly talk about I, I, I came very close oh, to walking why? out what's of what's the point we're yep. going to come to the same place <laughs> and then no no I understand I just wanted to ask you one so I have one question for you specifically oh, okay. David and then, then we'll Please. move on I don't want to rehash what we did last episode um, and then, uh, but most of them I can make it through. The only other one that I've ever wanted to seriously, or the most recent one that I've ever wanted to seriously walk out of, funnily enough, considering it, it, it was helmed by someone who I, I genuinely like and appreciate, and that was Scott Pilgrim. Uh, and within 10 minutes of that, I wanted to walk out as well. Um, apart from that, oh, most of the bad movies, uh, I've been able to sit through and find some enjoyment from them. Um, the, you know, and, and there were a couple of little bits in Man of Steel that I could be like, oh, okay. But, but ultimately the way it was directed and the, the narrative and the, uh, you know, I mean, a lot of people were like, but Superman doesn't kill people and he destroys everything and blah, 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 blah. No, at the let's end of the movie. not, please. I, the, you right. know what, you know what I hate the most about the, the reaction to Man of Steel is that the debate has been constrained between, you know, opposing polls. It's, and the polls aren't really that far apart. Either it's the worst movie ever uh, because of all the things you've been mentioning, or it's the worst movie ever because uh, Superman doesn't kill people. 
Right. Except for all those times when he has that he, nobody wants to talk about. Of course. Now, I have no problem, and in fact, we'll get on to this with the X-Men. I have absolutely no problem with comic book movies having death in them. I think it's fantastic when the superhero kills people. And I'm not really sure how you go up against big, big, bad, nasty villains and don't kill people. It tends to be the thing that, like, look at the last... Um, the... Narrative. The answer, you know, more often than not, is narrative contrivance. Right, but look at Dark Knight Rises, which gets itself tied into all sorts of knots about the whole I don't kill people thing, which is just utterly ridiculous. But you could also argue that's because uh, Batman is a human being and the people he is fighting are human beings, whereas Superman is an alien and the person he's fighting is an alien, and therefore we shouldn't get all upset about it. My problem with the big destruction... Not the... So, no, completely missing the point, but okay, keep going. No, I'm talking about people's reaction. I'm done. I mean, I, oh, don't, yeah. okay. I, don't, I don't care either way. I don't give a fuck about the point. I watch movies where people get killed all the time, and I don't care because it's a movie, but that's another thing. Um, the, <laughs> uh, the, the problem I had with the destruction at the end of Man of Steel had nothing to do with a comic book, had nothing to do with it being Superman. Couldn't care less about that. The destruction I had, uh, the problem I had with the the end of uh, Man of Steel is that it went on way too long. And it was way too... We'll agree with. Right. It was way too uh, destructive porn. Uh, I mean, Hack Snyder was literally behind the camera, probably masturbating into a cup, screaming, yes, let's destroy Morbill, or rather um, bending over the shoulder of some poor CGI guy at a computer drawing all this stuff, going, yes, blow up more buildings, yes, make them fall down, ah, ah, yes. I think that was probably going on, and that that I have an issue with. And then to add to that the fact that once all those buildings came crashing down and blah, 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 Zod then shows up, and they smash even more buildings and crash through things and destroy window and whatever. <laughs> it, was, it was pointless. It was ludicrous. It was overblown. It was redundant. It was stupid. And then... The death at the end seemed more like a a joke. It was like, well, if he could have done that all along, you you know, it just, that's the problem with it in terms of narrative. And and that's where, you know, uh, it falls down. And the whole idea that he's saving one family when they've destroyed the whole city, it's not to do with the fact that he's Superman. It would be the same as if it was John McClane. It doesn't really matter. It's just narratively, it's stupid and it didn't work. Anyway... Um, you sound like me describing a Jason Statham film. Right, except that a Jason Statham film is what a Jason Statham <laughs> film is. It does what it does on the tin. It's not trying to pretend that, to be anything else. No, I know, but it does what it the, the question I had for you, in all seriousness, about my reaction to Pacific Rim. The, oh, que- the question yes. I have for you, sir, and, and I think it's a valid one because we've had serious discussions, you and me, about this in the past, certainly in our comic book episodes, where I know you take uh, narrative, character, the use of the English language, etc., very seriously. Absolutely. Um, and yes. you've discussed it growing up as a, as a, a son of, of teachers, how important that was to you, and so on. Therefore, and I understand it also had Robots and Monsters, and I love Robots and Monsters. And in fact, I said in the episode last week, I enjoyed the bit where the robots fought the monsters. Loved it. <laughs> but in terms of... I did na- notice that. I did notice that. Right. In terms of narrative and and uh, what I call the pre-climax climax, um, but the uh, that scene was great. But in terms of narrative, performance, use of the English language, character, structure, and everything else, I thought that the film 
failed on almost every level. And I was interested, therefore, as someone like yourself who found, finds that very important, even in something that I would dismiss, like a just a silly comic book movie, uh, the... I was interested that you liked Pacific Rim as much as you did because I feel like that was its major flaw was the the characters and the script and all that stuff. In your episode, um, you expressed concern that people might criticize you for over-intellectualizing. Right. Uh, what, and, um, when, and when I heard that, I uh, shouted at the screen, no, uh, indeed... I, I would say you're under-intellectualizing uh, the whole ex- exercise. And uh, really, look, I've seen, uh, look, I've seen far, uh, far too many people um, compare the film to Independence Day or say that it, uh, including your own co-host, Mr. Wallace, because um, right, because of the vast similarities. But yes, because of the vast <laughs> yes, because of the vast uh, similarities in pretty much every aspect right. uh, of the storytelling, uh, right down to um, well, little except, except the pacing and the structure. The pacing and the structure is much better in Independence Day than it was in Pacific Rim. Uh, but see, I'm like, who still watches Independence Day? I haven't seen that. I haven't sat through that movie in years. Okay. Um, it, 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 I fell out of love with that jingoistic piece of shit uh, around about 2001. And so apart from like a couple scenes, including, yes, the scene where a quirky scientist mind melds with the uh, alien to uh, find out their and a, plans. And a, an annoying fucking drownable scientist. Quirky is too nice to describe fucking Charlie Day. See, but see, are you a, f- yeah, see, that's the other thing. The problem with Pacific Rim was they cast people uh, from uh, television shows um, because they were in television, not because they're good actors. Uh, with the exception, of course, of my hero, Idris Elba. Who was terrible in this movie. If great, you say so. great in other stuff. We're going to have time. to agree to disagree on that. That's fair enough. That's uh, uh, no my my like original question was still. <laughs> right. My no, my original question was based on the fact that a lot of the time we're getting into discussions about comic book movies and when I go into a comic book movie, uh not to downplay comics themselves because I understand all the talent oh, go ahead. and it's okay. No, Everybody no, does. I don't no no, I've always said in these episodes I don't read them, so I can't comment on them and I'm not intending to comment on them. I know that a lot of people find them incredibly important and they that you know there's some there's some great writing that's come out of them and they are the American fairy tales and blah 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 blah. They, you know, there's a lot of you know, liter- literature and, and importance to them, and I'm not taking that away. But when I go into a, a movie that's about superheroes hitting each other, which nine times out of ten, that's what it is, um, although I wouldn't say that about the X-Men shows, when we've, when we've uh, uh, discussed them, I often take the part of the person who's like, yeah, but that little bit of filmic nonsense didn't bother me because it's just a comic book movie. And you're the guy who's like, yeah, but it's really important because it needs to have this narrative and it needs to have this character and it needs to have blah, 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 blah. Whereas Pacific Rim, the all that stuff that you apparently hold dear wasn't in the movie. I don't even know how people can pretend it was in the movie. Even if it, even its attempt to ape previous films of the genre be them disaster movies and or monster movies it did woefully and it missed the point of why you have a damaged 
you know, leading man, or why you have the flashback with the revenge and all that. It missed all those points. So Was therefore, my that damaged. Though, no, no, I'm uh, just using that as an example. What I'm saying is, yeah. it took it even the took Maverick the, is what you mean, the yeah. Maverick or whatever. But the other guy was Idris Elba's character was like the damaged should have been the damaged gruff older general who's seen it all and whatever. All I'm saying is, it it, it it didn't even understand the cliches it was apparently ripping off, even at its bare bones. And therefore, I find it very odd, other than robots hitting monsters, which is great, that you enjoyed it as much as you did. But see, I, I'm not sure how much you think I enjoyed it. I gave it a three out of five, uh, barely above average. That's barely above average. And it's the same rating I would give, say, uh, well, we'll get there, but X2. Um, because, and for pretty much the same reasons, are the characters weak, uh, flat archetypes that uh, pretty much drift their way through a preset narrative? Yes. Uh, but the, but believe me, I've seen this narrative done much, much, much worse. And, uh, and in this case, I think our, it's a question of our different reference base. You're thinking of uh, the Ray Harryhausen movies to which Pacific Rim is partially dedicated. Am I right? Yeah, I've not. To be fair, okay. and a lot of people said this, I've not seen a ton of Japanese monster. Movies. I've seen the Godzillas, like a handful of the Godzilla movies, um, but but no, I don't have like some huge, long-reaching, uh, you know, uh, uh, encyclopedic knowledge of whatever kaiju movies are out there. Okay, and not to be an arrogant prick about it or anything, but I do. Right. It so, doesn't excuse and, the acting or the narrative structure of the script, but okay, fine, go ahead. <laughs> except, except, and, there's an and here, and I've watched more cartoons than you have. Oh, definitely, yeah, I don't tend to watch animation. Giant fighting, okay, the, the, this is, I think people are making a uh, diagnostic error uh, in, in the case of Pacific Rim, because it is not a uh, proper kaiju film. It is a. Uh, it is what, if it were an anime, would be classified as giant fighting mech. And right. yes, that is its own genre. Okay. Uh, with but its I don't own... think you should need to know that to go see a movie in which big monsters come out of the sea and get hit by humans and robots. You do if that movie is dedicated to Ray Harryhausen and Ishiro Honda. Um, but I, I the... mean, okay, I understand that that's where they took their artistic inspiration from, apparently, that and the script of Independence Day. But the, the, you know, I still don't say, I don't understand why that then makes my analysis of the film null and void. I'm not saying that it does. This is nothing to do with your analysis whatsoever. I'm just describing where I'm coming from because okay. that's all I can do. Sure, go right ahead. I've Sorry, given I up haven't judging let, other I haven't let you answer it. Go ahead. Anything. I've given up judging any people's anything. And I want to say this right at the top of things, right here. No matter what I say, right, it is not a reflection on you. Okay? No, I know, dude. We have our opinions. Okay, I just want still... to say that. I just want to say that. So. I don't get uh, offended, Christ. <laughs> so the thing about Pacific Rim is, uh, as a as an, it is giant. Like I said, it's giant fighting mech one hundred and one, uh, an introductory survey course, uh, meaning it is just as useful and as deep as the uh, those shitty. I don't know what they call them in Britain, but over here we call them freshman uh, courses that you take at community college. Um, <laughs> Right. Because let us not forget, this is written. Uh, Mr. Wallace asked why the dialogue sucked. I know why. It's written by the guy who wrote the Clash of the Titans remake. Right. Okay. So 
that right there says more than I could, <laughs> really. Sure. Um, and it's and it was cast the way it was cast, uh, completely so that they could put more money into the giant robot uh, monster fighting. Sure. Which I think we also stated, like they obviously cast it the way they did to keep the cost low. Your yes, your co-host, uh, your co-host claimed not to believe that, and to me, it is too. Uh, yeah, to me, I can't believe anything else. Um, it is, yeah, Occam's razor. It's too perfect. Yeah, yes. no, I mean, I, I, you know, I don't want to harp on to harp on the subject, and it's fine, and I understand it. I did want you at some point to go. Ah, you know what? I put my analytical brain uh, into you know neutral, and I just like the monsters hitting the robots. But see, uh, but <laughs> I, I knew it. I knew you were trying to trap me. But it's not going to work because that did not happen. That did not have to happen. Then I don't. Um, under, then I don't understand how you enjoyed the movie. <laughs> but that's fine. It's not a problem. Each because to, each uh, to because as far as the as far as giant fighting mechs go, um, it was simple, straightforward, and to the point. Uh, and it was not, uh, it was, n- let me see if I can say this without, uh, making too many references to things people haven't seen. Uh, it ah, was go ahead not, and do it. That's not underestimated. It was you. not an overly melodramatic slog through, uh, the damaged psyches of its protagonists. Uh, it was not a navel gazing metaphysical diatribe on the nature of existence. It was not a pro-war film, uh, or and a lot of anime, a lot of giant fighting mech anime, have a distinctly militaristic bent to them. Um, but this did not. Uh, it was a, a ragtag bunch of uh, assholes comes together to uh, save the world. Uh, that just happened to you employ giant robots to do it. I mean, uh, if they, I don't it, see. But if they were likable. Uh, if they were, were like well written, if they had personalities or characters that were distinct from each other, I like Rico Kikuchi, man. And if they were, <laughs> if they were actually a ragtag bunch of people who came to save the world in giant robots, that would be fantastic. But they weren't. They were people with six packs and sweaters who, even though they'd been out of the game for five years, could leap right back into a robot and do it without any. It, it, there was no ragtagness about yeah, he's them. He's been working construction. It and besides, was, right? He's yeah. coded. He's the Maverick. Right, he's coded. Uh, he's supposed to be a natural yeah. Yeah. Uh, at this, right? If, yeah. he were, if he were anything adding, else, right? Who can't even talk his lady down from her, you know, important flashback scene, which I'm glad they put in there because it was the only scene that was shot nicely and in daylight. But anyway, uh, I'm not going to repeat my myself. I'm glad you enjoyed it, dude, for, for what you enjoyed it, and I'm glad I got some some answer, some closure on on where you were coming from. <laughs> Too late, too late. Um, yes, absolutely. Yes. Yeah. So uh, we shall. Yeah. I'll, okay. Yeah. I'll leave it at that. Okay. I mean, if you had another point, dude, we got two more minutes. Mm-mm. Watch my review again, because you heard but did not listen. Obviously. <laughs> right. Like Sherlock Holmes. Uh, you. What is it? Uh, you see, but you do not observe. Exactly. Right. Um, exactly. Okay, I mean that's I, why I like you, John. We yes. share a reference base. Indeed, indeed. I will. I yes. I will. Uh, I will stick it. Stick with my opinion. But I will watch your video again to kind of, kind of get it. I, I did kind of think there was a little bit of a, a motive of me going. Okay, I'm going to catch David out here with the uh, the whole thing because you're always on me about 
but the characters need to be better and the script needs they to do. be better. And that is and that is absolutely true. Uh, right. in in Pacific Rim's case, yes, yeah. absolutely. But I think that uh, it's a nice segue to say that um going into the X-Men franchise, all my previous statements about uh comic book movies um, in terms of the last act is always CGI things hitting each other and the plots tend to be fairly generic stuff that kind of repeat throughout characters. Certainly the movie plots do. I'm just going by what the movies are and, and things like that. And of course. looking at the original trilogy, uh, starting with X-Men 1 from 2000, which we will Brian Singer's film, uh, I have to say, just as a blanket statement beforehand, what I like most about these films, and I watched them all last weekend in a, a series, all five, back-to-back on, on Saturday, and then I watched The Wolverine last night. The marathon. Yes. Yeah. So Did the all, marathon. Good man. Good all man. in my head. I have to say, the original trilogy, the, the, the three films, and I'm including Ratner's last part, which I know a lot of people uh, uh, don't, but I'm including it. <laughs> I think... Uh, as best as it can, or as best as I've seen, and there isn't really a comparison, uh, because it's not like Superman or Batman or whatever, where there are previous films, or even Spider-Man, unless you obviously count the animation. I've not seen a thing that explored the the world and the ideas and constructed a coherent and just a success, just built a successful world and told some decent stories within that trilogy structure, I've not seen it better done elsewhere. And the only comparisons I have is to other uh, superhero trilogies. You've got, obviously, uh, Batman and Spider-Man and things like that. Uh, but those, those superhero trilogies, man, they are, they are not trilogies to which I would... Which I would hold up as exemplar exemplars. No, okay, so if you want to look at, I don't know, the Godfather trilogy, or if you want to look at yeah. the Evil Dead trilogy, if you want to look mm-hmm. at the original Alien trilogy, or whatever it is, I still think that the X-Men uh, trilogy uh, examined some really, really good ideas and just and just did it in an in a, in a interesting way. All the performances are great, and the I think I was drawn to the continuity of it the world in each of those three movies felt satisfyingly similar it didn't suddenly like in uh, dark knight rises suddenly take place in new york instead of taking place in gotham it all took place you know where it took place the, 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 you know xavier's uh, mansion felt there was some continuity there and and so on it, it just all felt uh, nice to me. Anyway, let's talk about X Men One. Let give us a quick uh, capsule, either review and or uh, a rundown of the plot, very quickly for people. Everything. X Men One is the story of at least seven main characters uh, coming together in a more or less complete clusterfuck that is uh, saved a. Um, by the uh, filmmaking talents of its director, uh, Brian Singer, and B, by the presence of um, a certain Australian uh, musical theater actor hmm. uh, as its uh, main character slash audience surrogate, its point of view, if you will. Right. 
and uh, he, of course, being Wolverine. And uh, the plot of the movie concerns itself with uh, Wolverine's uh, being seemingly becoming a human MacGuffin in a power struggle between two groups of mutants. Yeah, Uh, but there's kind of two things going on. You've got, you know, you've got Rogue and Wolverine. Wolverine represents I've been a mutant forever and I've got all these troubles and things connected to it. And then you've got... Rogue is just just, uh, coming into all of this. Uh, We see, one of the first things we see, in fact, is her. Uh, We meet her first. So she's, she starts out as point of view character. And uh, as she knocks her boyfriend into a coma, right. and uh, and she meets up with Wolvie uh, in Canada, uh, a scene transition later because yes. one this... in, one in the many coincidences that this movie employs to get exactly all its because this movie is on fast forward. Let me tell you, this yes. whole thing, um, <laughs> this was uh, this was one of those movies that was going to be made forever. It was in production hell for about ten years. Um, because can I back up a second? Sure. <laughs> okay. Um, the the uh, X-Men uh, animated series premiered on Fox in 1992. And it was an immediate rating success. Lasted five years, which was insane for a kid's show at the time. And really, it's insane now for most shows that are made for adults. Um, and so immediately, Fox wanted to turn that around and make it into a movie. And um, they spent the 90s commissioning script after script after script. And there, I think at one point, I remember reading, there's something like 28 of them uh, floating around. That, uh, and so what we have is a distillation, uh, we should, I, I should say, of, I don't know, like three or four. No, well, it's it's one plot, but it has, but it's got so many heads. Oh my God! There's the Charles and Eric show. Um, so there's uh, the Wolverine and Rogue show, uh, and then there's the core love triangle. Mm. Right. And gosh, do I love love triangles? Well, then you've also got the uh, political, uh, the idea section of the script the i the idea the uh, yes. meta the metaphor the polit whatever you want to call it which i have to say the whole like whether you use it as a metaphor for civil rights or whether you use it as a metaphor for feminism whether you use it metaphor for gay rights or whatever it is it's the, the metaphor is sort of weak and full of holes uh, uh, at the best of times but at least it's there and there is a chunk of ideas especially to do with american politics and and even global politics that is that is interesting and you just don't see in other movies. Other movies, you know, Spider-Man, Batman, whatever, seems to exist in this sort of contained, you know, uh, insular world, whereas at least X-Men has the attempt at existing on a, a, a national, if not international, level in terms of the ramifications of there being out mutants, you know, mutants out and proud, as it were. And indeed, uh, the metaphor is one for prejudice um, of right. any kind, official and unofficial, uh, in any era. I mean, the, I'll back up even further. The first X-Men comic was, came out in September 1963. Now, what do you think people considered it a metaphor back in September 1963? Right? It, is, it has survived because it is the omni-metaphor. Uh, any... Uh, any you know put down a put down group can can look to the x men 
right. and uh, find a, ma- a roadmap for at least some kind of heroism, and at least, and actually, tons of different kinds of heroism because the, the X Men have been around so long, and uh, there are so damn many of them. Uh, do you know why Stanley created mutants? No, do tell. I'm I'm going to let you just answer these because I I don't want to look like a fool. <laughs> because uh, because uh, by 1963 he was honestly running out of ideas for how to give people superpowers. Right. So he and Jack Kirby, um, they you know they already run through uh, you know radiation that gives you the Hulk, Spider Man, the Fantastic Four, and they'd already gotten to the point of well okay he's just a Norse god. <laughs> right. So they came up with well they're just born with it. And that allows for endless permutations. Right. uh, It's also a nice examination. You know, this was another thing that I I enjoyed from it. And like I say, I come to it as a newbie. I don't read the comic books and so on. So, As you should. This movie is is not designed for me. That's for damn sure. Especially not the first one. It's all about you guys. Right. But it's not an origin story in its standard definition. Uh, it is an origin story in terms of you can be a completely fresh-faced newbie, never heard of the X-Men before, sit down and understand what's going on. But that's what I've always said. I don't need to know the birth of the character and then what happened and then what happened and then what happened. You can introduce mm. them as an adult like you do when you meet a friend for the first time who then 10 True. years down the line, you might have a ton of history with them. But you don't sit down with someone and go, okay, tell me where you were born and what happened then and how that... You find that out over the course. So what I'm saying is the best thing about the X-Men is you can go in and there isn't this, like, this horrible... And this is how we all became, you know, uh, uh, superheroes. It's just... It, it starts... And, and throws you into the world and you go along with it like a movie should. And and that's that's another thing I like about it. Also, you've got the whole scientific element. You've got the whole, the uh, it's not a God-given power. It's an evolutionary thing. And that's, you know, for us. For <laughs> because us, this is how evolution works. <laughs> right, no, no, un- understood. But at least it's not. At least it has a, a tiny, tiny little bit in the core of its makeup that is an, also an examination of, you know, that understanding of uh, human and or scientific-based evolution. True. And it's a great way to um, connect the whole thing to the uh, wider realms of science fiction, which the X-Men have successfully mined for Years, obviously. Right. Uh, I'm waiting for them to make the movie where they all go into space and uh, meet the various alien races that they have interacted with over the years. Right. Because no. that's going to blow everybody's mind. Everybody's going to hate that, sure. except me. It'll be great. <laughs> no, I mean, you know, I can understand it. And I, I will tell you now that it wasn't till watching uh, The Wolverine, the latest movie, that I uh, completely understood why the fans are so crazy about that character. Because obviously it is the character that kind of, even before the movie, even when I had friends at university who were big comic book readers, and, you know, obviously it's referenced in things like Rats and stuff like that, even uh, there he is the character that kind of most fanboys are mad about. You know what I mean? Uh, I do. Oh, yes, I do. I was, I I remember the 90s, and over here... um, Basically, Wolverine is the reason why in the 90s, if you uh, were a comic book fan and you weren't reading X-Men, you might as well have been wearing a dress. Right, exactly, yes. 
Um, he has, uh, and you say most fanboys, I would say a specific demographic of, um, I'm just going about the people I know, (laughs) they all like him. (laughs) Exactly. Um, and I bet they all really like Clint Eastwood as well. (laughs) Yeah, they, they do like Clint Eastwood. Well, who doesn't like, early Clint Eastwood, I should say, before he became a director. Um, yeah. Okay. That is a, that's, yeah, that's one example. Um. Yeah, Wolvie uh, Logan, um, he, yeah, his trajectory is one of the weirdest ones in, in comics. It's it's kind of like, these days I would call it uh, the Jack Sparrow uh, trajectory, um, career. He, he was introduced, he was created, first of all, just to give someone uh, for the Hulk to punch. Um, he was just like the one-off secret agent in a one Hulk uh, issue. Right. And he migrated over to the X-Men and uh, became like the team heel, the team smart ass. Right. And uh, became and like most smart asses uh, caught on. And so his position uh, in, in the stories gradually grew and grew and expanded and, and just to his current status where he's basically, um, yeah, uh, protagonist, certainly of these movies. And I was going to say, if these movies lack anything uh in the script uh and i know you're going to tell me they probably lack a whole ton of stuff as far as you're concerned but like if they lack anything (laughs) for me personally as an adventure action adventure movie fan they lack and right up until the wolverine they lack um those quips those uh, you know spider-man does as well spider-man's going to be a cheeky guy they only ever write one or two for him yeah they, they, they really yeah they yeah. need the guy they what they need is they need uh ivan Raimi, who clearly is or, or, or scott spiegel who is clearly the guy who filled ash's mouth with the one-liners and the ready quips and they 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 have not filled they look the scripts are great for for a lot of the things they're concerned with but the reason why I didn't fully get Wolverine for the longest time is that he is played more as the kind of wounded, conflicted traveler with a dark past than he is played as the brash, swaggering, don't worry, I've got this guy. Now, there are glimmers of it. There's glimmers of it in, like, X3, and there's glimmers of it in the Wolverine. There's glimmers of it throughout the series. Throughout the series. Yeah, everywhere, I think. But none of them are written particularly well. I mean, there was one line in particular, which I'll bring up later on, in the Wolverine, where I was like, oh, you know what? If you just tweaked it just a little bit, it could have been a (laughs) proper send-off one-liner, which I feel Jackman is constantly... Uh, chomping at the bit for one of those lines like he's he plays it with the the sort of uh the gusto and the gruffness of someone demanding better written quips and it's the one thing that just never comes it's kind of hampered by these writers who can't write a you know you ain't leading but two things right now jack and shit and jack left hand you know someone they they can't write those little bon mots and they need someone to come in and like polish up the script or something just for those jokey liners i think i would say i would say every character in these films uh lacks memorable dialogue with the possible exception of a couple of uh um, oh come on magneto gets magneto's to tr- i was about to say yeah. magneto's uh magneto gets some great speeches yeah ian um, mckellen gets to wander around and be like i'm basically playing a shakespearean villain right <laughs> because he is <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. 
Um, shit, you know, take your pick. Uh, <laughs> I always thought he was kind of Richard the Third myself. Um, Which is funny because, of course, McKellen stars in and directed and produced what I like to look at as the quintessential filmed version of Richard III, which is his film that takes place in the 30s, which is yes. just incredible. Nazi, yes, Nazi Richard III. I love mm-hmm. that one. I yeah. love that one, too. Uh, yeah, and and really, for me, uh, you know, everybody goes on about, uh, let others sing Wolverine's praises. I have, uh, yeah, I have a very ambivalent relationship with uh, Logan. He's, I like him in small doses, and like you said, with better writers than what he has here. Um, And uh, I have much, I have a great deal of experience with him having much better writers. Yeah. Uh, Chris Claremont and Joss Whedon spring immediately to mind. Oh, yeah, of course. That I'm forgetting. Um, But, yeah, those two right off the bat. But true, the same is true for everyone. Um, You know, uh, except Magneto. Uh, Professor X, his his uh, his voiceovers that open each of the films, mm-hmm. you know, they're okay. Um, well, that just the funny thing is, is because he played Picard, and obviously Star Trek is full of opening monologues to explain the uh, mission statement, as it were. Just the first two series, but yeah, it's the same one over and over and over again. Yeah. Right. Well, I mean, they reprise them in some of the movies and things like that as well, but I'm just saying it's, it's, it's interesting to, he obviously comes from that legacy of we have to have a very serious voiceover at the beginning, and the, the first couple of X-Men have that. So, the, Just the first two. Uh, it departed with Brian Singer, which was interesting. A, a lot of things... Oh, no, it's um, Famke Janssen does it at the end of the second one, right? To explain the whole, I'm going to be Phoenix next time, by the way, yeah? No. We'll get there. <laughs> well, uh, anyway, I mean... We'll, we'll get there. But first of all, um, in the first movie, uh, Professor X is uh, relegated to the role of exposition delivery system. Yeah. Uh, after the uh, after the first, you know, after everything, after everybody, all the pieces are set up and the first attack... On Wolvie's Wolvie's truck and and van, which uh, which I like his his little house on the on the back end of that thing. That was nice. Um, yeah. <laughs> and uh, and his first. It, it doesn't make any sense why the fire can lick up around the gas canister for as long as it does before it explodes. But okay. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, I think that's I think that's what we call. Uh, I think Brian Singer would call that a Spielberg homage because yeah, he's very. It's He's very good timing. about the Spielbergian uh, continuity, right? He, yeah. he stretches time uh, all over the place. It's, it's like taffy. It's movie time timing because Rogue is still trapped in the front seat. Exactly. And, and okay, uh, and the one thing that, that caught me the first time I watched this movie and that catches me still today is when in the, they're in the truck, uh, Rogue and Logan, and uh, they tell each other their secret names, which is nice. And then... <laughs> And then, uh, and then she asks him, "Do do they hurt uh, when they come out?" His claws, and he says, "Every time." And I can I can remember uh, being in the theater in in two in the year two thousand and hearing the, that exchange and thinking, "Oh Jesus," because that was something I'd never thought about before. But but the people I don't know who came up with that little exchange. I don't know which screenplay draft it was in, but whoever did that. Uh, well, you know, my hat is off to them because they were taking this as seriously as it needs to be taken. And I have to say that the continuity throughout all five, mo- six movies now, 
that Hugh Jackman plays um, a character that, although obviously he can heal, when he is hurt, it fucking hurts. The way he plays, he has played that continuity from that line of dialogue onwards exactly like that. Because it's not just the fact that when the blades come out, they split the skin around his knuckles, clearly, if you're looking at it properly. Um, but I do, it's all, yeah, I do love those shots. Right. <laughs> but it's also the fact that, uh, you know, even if he gets cut or beaten or set fire to or whatever, and he's had all sorts of stuff happen to him throughout the course of these films, you know, he you feel like he feels it. There's the occasional moment of he's the indestructible superhero, blah, 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 because it has to forward the plot. But, but, but even then, the you're time, right. Yeah, you're right. Jackman's face, uh, his pained face, yeah. has been remarkably uh, continuous throughout. Well, that's what I'm saying. He plays it as like the pain traveler as opposed to the swaggering, cigar-chomping anti-hero, which is kind of the other half. He's kind of a bipolar split personality. The other half of him in the movies is this leather jacket wearing cigar chomping anti-hero but most because, of the time yes he's because more... in the comics because in the comics wolverine is obviously both uh, right. at, often at the same time and which... i think it's 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 also brave that they dabble with and i know again it's rushed and i know that they don't examine it maybe as much as it needs to be but i think it's brave that they bother to have the emotional soap opera on one hand and the you have an emotional soap opera on one hand. You have the political, you have the political ideas, oppression, blah blah blah. On the other hand, and then running through it, you have the very simple: he's the good guy, he's the villain plot. And but they certainly in the original trilogy, I think they do their best to merge all three. And although you occasionally see the edges, you occasionally see the the transitions. It, it's done pretty successfully, considering these are just three blockbuster comic book movies you know what i mean it's i i do without necessarily um agreeing first of all there was a lot <laughs> there first of all uh is magneto such a bad guy well that's uh, the other thing is i was going to mention the ambiguity the ambiguity of the villains yeah. in all of the movies is great because you know magneto's plan in this we haven't mentioned but magneto's plan in this is basically to make a bunch of world leaders mutants as well uh, and through science, through science, because he has <laughs> this big whizzy whirly machine that creates lightning things, and that means you become a mutant and you melt and go all weird. Anyway, uh, well, it's artificial, right? It doesn't. It, right. Yeah, it's not natural. It doesn't work, and um, it doesn't last. But that's yeah, his yeah, plan. Yeah. I saw, <laughs> I saw Bruce Davison melt right. in a in a major movie released in June. I never thought I'd see that. <laughs> right, exactly. It's fantastic. He goes all... And also when he pushes his head through the bars, him looking a bit like a kind of surprised codfish is always nice as well. <laughs> um, but no, I mean, you know, there is a nice ambiguity to it because you completely and utterly see uh, Magneto's point uh, through a lot of these films, you know, and obviously his backstory is, and I kind of dislike the fact that his backstory was that he was like a Jewish guy in a Holocaust camp and blah, 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 because it's a bit too fucking on the nose. But anyway. Ah, but yes, but by the same token, I would say 
that I admire any film with the sheer balls to be a uh, multi-million dollar, you know, comic book movie. Right. That opens in Poland in 1944. Right. Uh, it's, I can just... Because I can, I could hear the sphincters close up in the theater. It, because the film was telling every single one in, one of us in the audience, "Yeah, fuck you. We're opening with the Holocaust. Right. Deal with it." Exactly. No, and not to take anything away from those scenes, you know, which is also replayed in First Class. First Class. Uh, yes. Uh, you know, those scenes are great and everything. And expanded upon. Expanded by the upon. Because of a mad German bacon, which I could not get enough of. I was so disappointed that he wasn't a mustachioed, hand-rubbing, German, grinning fool for the rest of the movie. I was like, please, please make him that amazing character that he only plays for five minutes of screen time. <laughs> Unfortunately not. He has to go back to loose, pear-flicking champagne-holding, suave bacon for the rest of the movie, and it just it lost something for me. But anyway, uh, the, the the Holocaust opening is, is fine. Everything's a little on the nose for the whole metaphor, but it's, it's fine. You totally see where he's coming from, but you also see where uh, Professor X is coming from as well and his hopes and desires, as much as they also appear to be a little naive, let's be fair. So uh, there is... It's... it's as much not, as these things get naive, to... they just take more work. Uh, no, they, it's naive to assume that, just if you know human nature, it's a little... I'm just saying, in general, it's it, every, his thing is one of a hopefulness, yeah. and, and Magneto is one of a hopelessness to some extent, or a, I want change now. You don't seem to understand. The, we've been living with this for... This many years, the fact you don't understand, I can't tolerate it anymore. You need to understand now. This is my, you know, solution to it. Um, yeah. And so, you know, Human that, idealism versus pragmatism, right? Uh, and humanitarianism, and, not to be speciesist, but humanitarianism versus, shall we say, oh, the very totalitarianism that some of us. Uh, yeah, that some of us think we're fighting against. Right, yes. exactly. And I like the idea also of any movie that's like, you know what, humans, you need to be taken down a peg or two because you're not all fucking that. That makes me happy too because human beings really need to understand that we're just another one of the things occupying this planet. And we're not the fucking be-all and end-all and not everything we do is perfectly right and wonderful and deserves a big clap or a backslap. But anyway. Um, but anyway, uh, so <laughs> Halle Berry, because I'd agree with all of that. So Halle Berry. Yes, what about her? Yeah, well, no. She's what abysmal you... in everything, I know, but yes. <laughs> Thank you. That's, that's, that's all I wanted. Okay, so. Uh, <laughs> She's Blue a Ridge. terrible actress. How she has an Oscar is beyond me. I can only assume that they were too blindsided by the sight of a black woman's breasts and therefore gave her an Oscar. I have no idea what the other explanation that's is. as good an explanation as any. Clearly, I, clearly I, they weren't Pam Greer fans back in the 70s then because you could have seen a, a whole ton of them back then. Sorry. Yeah, I can't remember a thing about Monsters. I couldn't remember a thing about Monsters Ball. I mean, we live uh, in a world where Halle Berry has an Oscar and Pam Greer doesn't, which to me 
it says that the Oscars are a big pile of shit from start to finish. That's just my personal and that there and that there is no God. Right. Um, of but, course, okay, well, we so... know there's no God. I, I just put up a poster <laughs> recently online where I said the Wolverine versus ninjas because although there isn't a God, someone somewhere loves me. <laughs> indeed, uh, his yes, his name is Frank Miller. No. Yes, indeed. Sorry, um, carry but... on. Anyway, uh, yes. Uh, okay, so... Uh, we need to also at some point blur into the second one because we're kind of talking generally around the trilogy. And if we talk generally around the trilogy, then we've got another 20 minutes. If we're just talking about the first one, we probably should have leapt on. Yeah, good point. Um, well, then we might as well because the first one is uh, pretty much an entirely a setup movie. Yeah, I mean, but not a the... bad one. Not one where you're like, oh... I'm being told someone's life story from beginning to end. Just a nice kind of here are the characters and here are what are they There's doing. There's and... too many people, in fact, to tell anyone's life story uh, right. at all or to even really hint at anyone except in like the broadest possible strokes. Uh, this is X-Men 101. Um, actually, no, this is a creative writing assignment by someone who had just completed X-Men 101 uh, because, yeah, Brian Singer was not going to do this initially. Uh, he had to be sat down and strapped into one of those chairs from Clockwork Orange by executive producer Avi Arad, um, who, and forced to watch the uh, X-Men cartoon show. And I, I, uh, I take it f- uh, that he gathered, uh, he, he gathered a lot from that, um, you know, the central metaphor of the X-Men, uh, the way their world works, uh, especially when it's a self-contained world and not part of the greater Marvel universe, which simplifies things greatly, let me tell you. Well, this was and, before there was... I mean, I was, I was going to point out that this is kind of the the first... I mean, I, Batman and Robin is 97. This comes out in 2000. Yep. Mm-hmm. So this is the first of what has been dubbed like the new wave of comic book movies, even though there's only... like to like to call it the Silver Age of right. comic books movies myself even even there's even though there's only three years between the you know the what was called the death knell which was batman and robin and then this um and everyone everyone forgets blade and uh, well yes i mean you've got the 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 darker subsidiary titles yes of course and but uh in in terms of the big tentpole summer Movies that are family friendly. This was kind yeah. Of like... At this point, we had we had uh, four Superman, uh, four Batman movies, and yeah, that was well. Okay, three Darkman movies, but who watched those? Right, I uh, did. But yes, apart yeah, from you and me, <laughs> yeah, right, uh, yeah, right, and a bunch of made-for-TV uh, stuff that right. most people wouldn't even dare look at. Um, well, so, of course, you've got Roger Corman's Fantastic Four, but <laughs> which was never, never officially released. No, unfortunately. Right. No. So unless you live near a convention, you were fucked. Yes. Um, as with most of these things, because there was no DVD yet, so and nobody. Them out, I have to say, dude, considering like some of the steps that have been put wrong in terms of comic book movies since X-Men, considering this is the first, let's call it the first one, just for, I know there are others, but let's call it the first one for sake of argument, uh, certainly of the Marvel-verse uh, that, that is on the big screen, big temple, all the rest of it. It does pretty bloody well, considering that's what it is, considering this is the, the movie they're starting you know, something that is now going on 13 years old and will continue far into the next, you know, four or five years in terms of movie franchises and in terms of just 
the public getting to grips with comic books. It's it's <laughs> it's a pretty good place to start. I know there are faults with it and problems with it and the characters and blah 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 blah. But ultimately, it's a pretty good place to start. I think it's from from all the uh, from all the difficulties that were involved with it and from the sheer logistics of it. Uh, yes, it is incredible that it turned out as well as it did. It is an ambitious film. Uh, it is a, frankly, it is filled to bursting with world building. And uh, yes, and it is, well, okay, yeah, I guess I'll agree with that. It is probably as good, or well, I would have said at the time that it is as good as we can get. And in fact, that's what I did say at the time. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, I watch it and I I don't fully embrace any of the characters necessarily beyond their the performers playing them because I do like yes them. because that's like all the they are right uh. and 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 I but I do embrace everything else you know uh, I like you say the establishing of the love triangle is quick Wolverine seems to fall in love with Jean Grey immediately and immediately becomes a rival to uh, Cyclops I agree that is you know ham fisted at best but then. Once you go, okay, fine, it's a movie, it's an action movie, it's a summer movie, and we have a billion things to do here, people. The fact that the love triangle forms quicker than a skin on the top of some bad soup is, <laughs> is, is neither here nor there, really, because from that, all, all it's for there, is, for me, of course, for me, because I understand that in a movie... And you understand it too, but I mean, I know you're looking for more. You're always looking for more, and I get why, and yes, I understand understanding why. Understanding does not mean acceptance. But no, yes, I, I, you, I need to, you need to paint with you need to paint with a wide brush, and you need to do it as fast as possible. But I watch a lot to... of action movies, so accepting things. Yeah. You know, I've watched the whole Bond franchise more than once. You have to accept certain narrative jumps. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> You don't have to. You can if you want. Okay, but, but okay. No, no, we, we can agree to disagree on that. The, and the love triangle is actually a perfect place to get uh, to transition. Right. Into... But my my argument would be very quickly to to your thing is if there was as if there was as many movies out there that showed everything you're talking about the the. The thing that a book can do that a movie can't do, the, the, the idea of, you know, proper, strong establishing of rich, deep, interesting characters that have interactions that are, you know... A book? Hell, this is trying to squeeze, like, uh, uh, no, no. What, 40 years' worth No, but I'm not, just, I'm not just talking about the X-Men. I'm talking about all movies. I'm saying if there was a big yeah. example where characters were rich and deep and interesting and established and blah, 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 throughout movies in general, I would say you have a point. But throughout movies in general, it, it, it's about, it has been, for the lo- was for the longest time, about the 90-minute narrative structure. And at a certain point, the character has just got to go from A to B. We've got to get him to B, because if we don't get him to B, then C doesn't work and blah, 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 blah. So it, 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 if there was an example where in a ton of movies... Uh, characters are richly drawn. I could, I could accept more. I guess your your opinion on it. As far as I'm concerned, uh, all the movies I watch make these narrative character jumps. If you've got 90 minutes, of course someone's got to fall in love with someone quicker than maybe they would in real life. 
And, and the movies that show deeper, richer, better characters are normally movies where that's the whole purpose of the movie is to examine the character. So the full 90 minutes or two hours is taken up purely with the character study of those people. Very rare do you get a big protagonist-antagonist plot interwoven with incredibly deep you know, character motivations and all the rest of it. Because one has to give way to the other in order to fit neatly into the structure that films have in general. And we got to get and we got to get Ray Park on screen, right? Right. Because... Well, of course, our Brit boy Ray Park, who I had the uh, the honor of seeing at the recent Philly Comic Con, decent guy, <laughs> decent guy. So I've heard. So I've heard. And and yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> Much better Toad than uh, the one that appears um, in the comics. Right. Not necessarily, yeah, not necessarily interesting or, you know, good. No, I mean, I would like to be at the meeting. I will meeting. give them that. I will give this movie that. Um, yeah. yeah. I would have liked to have been at the meeting where they were like, okay, well, we have to put these certain characters in. Because it seems throughout the movie, you know, the, the biggest glaring error in all six movies is the random introduction of Nightcrawler in the second one, uh, only to appear and then disappear in the franchise completely. Um, <laughs> and it seemed to be much in the style of Venom and Spider-Man 3. Everyone likes Nightcrawler, put Nightcrawler in the movie Simply for that reason, he doesn't. It's it, that's exactly what happened. Yes. Right. So that introduces part two. Let's move on to part two. Although I don't, it doesn't necessarily that we need to go movie to movie like this for the trilogy because I think all the same points could be made. Because um, also, three... except most people, uh, myself included, would consider part two to be the Wrath of Khan of this franchise, a marked improvement over part one's uh, dalliances with you know, exposition dump and uh, pointless spectacle. Uh, well, because, because part two is the Wrath of Khan. It's a, it's a guy from Wolverine's past. Yes. Shows up, you know, uh, but it's also a way to examine. And the thing I like about the three movies, the first one examines mutant versus mutant in terms of X versus uh, Magneto. And the idea of the two different ideologies clashing against the American government. And then the, the, the second movie has more the idea of, okay, well, there are mutants in the world. Surely someone somewhere will have tried to make a weapon out of them and use them for militaristic reasons. And therefore, you've then got the X-Men and the, and the mutants banding together against a common enemy uh, to some extent. I mean, it's loosely done, but to some extent... Then the the last movie, you look at, well, what if we could cure this? What if we could cure this? And it's always the question that people ask, like, bipolars and depressives. Why don't you take the tablets and then you would be leveled out? Then you would be normal like the rest of us. You know <laughs> Whatever what I mean? that means. Whatever right. the hell that means. Right, exactly. And then it, 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 that movie examines all of that while also maintaining the mutant versus mutant with the government and all that. So, you know, there's lots of pieces on the chessboard to use the actual X-Men imagery exactly. um, and they do move them throughout the three films successfully i think 
and I would agree up to a point that we'll get here get to here in a bit. Um, but first of all, for X two, uh, you're absolutely right because that is the um, yeah. If the central metaphor of the X Men is uh, you know a minority's reaction to prejudice then uh, it's, you know, what flows from that is obviously um, oppression from any, yeah, from outside sources, in this case the government, as, you know, uh, personified by Brian Cox as William Stryker. Who should um, just have been Stryker in every movie. Why really? They, he, why they change him, I have no idea. Why did they fucking... Same with, with because Hannibal everyone, Lecter. Because everyone bitched and moaned about the uh, de-aging process that they used in X3. They were going to use the same thing on him. Right. But uh, it was too expensive, and uh, yeah, nobody on the internet seemed to like it very Do much. Do you know what's intriguing about that? Is obviously Brian Cox was passed over for Anthony Hopkins in the role of Lecter, because uh, obviously he was Lecter in Manhunter, and then they went on and made the, the, the three Science of the Lambs movies with Anthony Hopkins, and what's interesting is uh, the when they did Red Dragon, obviously Hopkins came back to play Lecter, although he was older because it was the third movie they made uh in the franchise yet he sort of said well i'm just going to be playing it younger i'm just going to kind of slim down a little bit and slick back my hair but i don't think people will worry about it so using the movie that he got passed over for hannibal lecter they could have done the same thing in the fucking wolverine origins it's not like um what's his face who played him looked any fucking better than cox would have looked but I like to think Brian Cox got to look at that movie's script and uh, <laughs> right and decided when... quietly decided not to participate. And when wait a He's minute, just never is... talked about it since, which True. I wouldn't either. The, I, he probably looked at the script and went, "Wait a minute, this is redundant, isn't it?" So it really is uh, because X two gives you everything um, you need. that you need to know about yes. Wolverine's backstory. In yeah, while also telling like a, a story in the present day about uh, Stryker's machinations to destroy all of mutant kind with what amounts to a giant mind bomb. Right, and he's got you've got his son in there, so you don't need that explained. You've you know you even have flashbacks for God's sake when uh, Professor X is captured, so you even get all that. I mean, you know, I understand they had to keep the franchise relevant while they were waiting to do First Class, and they because they come out once every three years, more or less. Uh, you've got Oath. You've got Fox th- has to. Fox is contractually obligated to make an X Men movie at least once every five years, or the rights revert back to Marvel, which right. now means Disney. Right, so. exactly. So you've got 2000, 2003, 2006, 2009 is then Wolverine Origins. And that's just yep. to just put it out there just to hold on to those rights. And then and also while they're prepping first class and whatever, because that's not a three year gap between those two. I think it's a two year or one year gap. Yeah, well, first class was a uh, well. First class is its own special case that had its own hell to go through. Um, but but X two, goddamn it, uh, yes, uh, everything about this is an improvement over its predecessor, as far as I'm concerned, except um, one line of dialogue. Which one? Uh, have you ever tried not being a mutant? <laughs> <laughs> Didn't like that one, did you? Well, it ripped off Buffy. Oh, for, for starters, good. it ripped off Joss Whedon. And if you're going to do that, you need to understand why you're doing it. Secondly, uh, it's a it's a nail on the head of the gay metaphor for the X-Men that didn't need to be there because they'd done it so well 
that the X-Men could represent any form of minority oppression, blah, 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 that to kind of have the whole our wayward son happens to be something that we're not type thing was a little too on the nail for me. Yeah, and see, but see, I'm used to most of these characters running around in colored spandex. Right. So, <laughs> so the gay metaphor isn't a problem. <laughs> well, no, the on the the on the 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 nail on the head thing isn't a problem. Oh, I see. Uh, right. Because, yeah, and uh, and really, uh, if anything, you know, I'd say that's downplayed uh, more than it really should be. There's not one torch wielding mob in uh, any of these films. <laughs> And that is a that is a horrible oversight on their part. Well, there's a gu- um, there's a gun wielding mob in the third one. Yeah, they're, but they're mili- they're well they're PMCs though. So they oh, well there's they're pro- least... there's protests in all that's, of them. Yeah, that's true. Which yeah. is the it... modern form of torch wielding mob. I mean, nowadays we don't tend to have torch wielding mobs. I mean, not apart- unless not unless uh, not unless some college uh, football coach gets fired. Right, or not unless the, there's looting and pillaging and someone needs a flat-screen TV, like in North London. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah, well, and, and, but, but, with, but with X2, we at least touch upon uh, the uh, escalation of the, that would naturally arise from the government uh, becoming aware of mutants. And, uh, with, and we see, God, the attack on the school... Uh, which is, it's always fun when the X-Mansion is invaded by any kind of uh, force whatsoever. And and here we just get, it's a, Jesus, it's a fan service parade. Uh, you, speak, you know, you talk about Nightcrawler, but I know plenty of people who are overjoyed to see someone at least uh, playing Kitty Pride or uh, Bobby Drake or uh, Colossus right. or a bunch of other people who really had nothing to do with anything uh, except for you know, Iceman. <laughs> right. And because again, we have, uh, once again, too many characters and not enough damn time, uh, really to develop any of them beyond the broadest, flattest strokes possible. So, uh, but, uh do you not think that, I mean, so consider, wait, consider, wait, wait. So again, oh, we have, ro- we have the Rogue and Wolverine show. Right. And now we've added, we've given Rogue a boyfriend because we don't want to do Gambit. Uh, we got to do Iceman um, for some reason because he's played by Sean Ashmore. Um, and uh, let's see. And then uh, the the Eric and Charles show is not uh, really doesn't matter though. It just becomes the Eric show because uh, Charles gets kidnapped, as does Cyclops. Right. So the love triangle um, is. Kind of, sort of. Well, no, it's not resolved. It's not even discussed. Well, you're you're, a, you're, you're able to give Wolverine Jean, and Jean Grey a chance to kind of dance around possible chemistry and all that. Like the giant, uh, passive aggressive children that they are. Jesus Christ! This, what the hell do these two see in each other? I'd really like to know because I have no idea. No, I mean, I mean, who but, the hell are are they? He's a brick. In a leather jacket uh, with a cigar in his mouth, and and she is meh. Well, she's Famke we, Jensen, right. and, and she's wandering around like like she's the only one who didn't get any direction because she didn't. And but that's that's not just a problem with they this. have they have yeah. similar height. 
Yes. She's and, too and, tall for any other guy. I mean, that's what's so funny about fucking pairing her with Marsden. He doesn't stand a chance. He's like four foot two and she's like six foot five or whatever. And he's playing a complete nothing. I mean, well, he's just, playing an asshole. He's just playing a stroppy four-year-old asshole. There you go. Right. And, and yes, there you go. Um, and so this is right off the bat. Uh, the least interesting, uh, you know, love triangle I've seen outside of the TV show Smallville. Right, but uh, it's it's while my husband is away on business, I'm going to maybe have a slight flirtation with the pool man. That's what it is, or the plumber. So like five, yeah, it's like the TV, the edited for TV version of Ditches Madison County. Right. Um, at least in the Mark II version of this. Uh, which was called Superman Returns. Uh, they the other the third wheel rather the other guy uh, was at least made into a nice guy, right? Uh, too nice, uh, uh, some would say, but but at least they tried. Uh, Scott Summers just gets Cyclops just gets shafted in all of these movies, and that kind of pisses me off, honestly. Actually, all of the character shafting in all of these movies pisses me off, but that. Most especially, um, because... but I have to say, you have to pick. You have to pick what is it that is important? Because the other thing I would have to say about these films, and the thing that is blissful, and the reason why you can do a uh, marathon as I did, is not one of them is over two hours, let alone being over an hour and forty-five minutes. They all nicely get what they need to be done and i know like i'm sure comic book fans i'm sure yourself or whatever would like you know the only way to explore a lot of these characters because they come from the pages of a comic book would be to do them as a tv series but it would be too expensive to do them as a tv series to some extent you have to throw all your money at a big movie and whatever but at least they get in get out they have the the ideas they want to talk about, and they have the the plot for each one, and they do it within ninety minutes. If you look at what superhero movies have become, and they're now pushing two hours thirty five minutes, you're like Jesus Christ. They could learn a lot from this original trilogy. It depends on what they're going for and and what they want to do. Uh, the X films, um, and at this point, that became clear. Uh, wanted to focus on Wolverine because everybody supposedly loves him. And I've never really understood why, apart from the most obvious uh, type, you know, surface tension things. And, you know, you say they characterize him as this, uh, you know, dude with a tragic past. But, of course, he doesn't even remember his tragic past. And X2 is all about him rediscovering it. Right. Uh, to a degree. I don't think and, it. I mean, yes, I know what you mean. And, and, and yes, Wolverine is the one they've latched onto. And I think mainly that's because he is more or less impervious and therefore he can be your guy that you wheel out at the end to do all the heavy lifting in terms of action. And you don't need to worry about him being blown up or cut up or whatever it is. Uh, and I think that's a lot to do with it as well as the fanboy thing. But I think that a movie has to pick what it is it's going to focus on and i think that the rest is always going to be window dressing and the choice comes down to is it good window dressing or is it pointless superfluous what the fuck is that doing there window dressing and i think that for the most part 
And also, obviously, for the most part, because what they're going for in the X-Men trilogy is this world-building, this continuity, this whatever, I think that while they have their plot strand A, which in this case is the Striker, Wolverine, backstory stuff, Mm -hmm. and the revelation that obviously Professor X knew stuff about Wolverine before, you know, we met all of them and blah, 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 blah. Um, while that is your plot A, the window dressing all around it, and that's the love triangle and Rogue's new boyfriend and, you know, a few subsidiary characters that we're going to introduce and Nightcrawler and blah, 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 blah. You know, there is good and bad in that, but it's it's certainly, I think, better than in a lot of other examples of these kind of films. And And I don't know that any film, as good as its script could be, could focus on absolutely everything. If you made the characters the focus, you would have to sacrifice something in terms of the A to B narrative, I think, just because of the time structure and all the rest of it. And I may agree with that, given circumstances. All all I would add would be that, uh, yeah, I can actually... Um, no, no, I'm not going to do it. Uh, no, I'm, uh, I tried to meet you halfway on that, but no, I can't. I can't do it. Uh, no, I just, you I just to, can't you, do it. I, th- I think you need to come to a table. You need to come to the table then with at least two or three movies in which they have deep, rich, interesting characters, a strong narrative thing, and blah blah blah. That isn't oh, part screw of screw that. I'm, I'm too busy. I'm too busy talking about the X Men okay. um, because you, you know you. S- <laughs> I'm still hung up on which fanboy thing uh, you might be referring to, but there, but we can come back to that. No, the um, Wolverine. The, the 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 fact you said Wolverine is the main character in this movie because he's seemingly what the one that all of the all fans of all these movies, right. I should say. And of, I'm of saying every last one of them. And I'm saying yes. And on top of but on top of that. I also think as a narrative device you can wheel him out because he's basically impervious except to Magneto which is the one thing that throughout this trilogy he seems to fucking forget that Magneto can can fucking control him he's like what is it that he forgets about this I don't understand every time it's just just really cool Uh, it's just really cool for him to for it because that's an that's like an acting warm-up exercise where you freeze right and it's yeah, it's just really cool for him and uh, for him and Ian McKellen to do that, I guess, yeah. over and over again. They they do it in the Wolverine too. It's yeah, uh, yeah. And at this and point, it's become of, there's lots of things like a trope. If, if adamantium uh, is is impervious, then how has he even got a molten version of it? They haven't ever fully explained that. Secondly, yeah. there is a bit where Magneto spreads his blades apart because he can control the adamantium, yet never puts them back, yet they are, weirdly enough, back in position uh, uh, the next time they are unsheathed. So there's a bunch of stuff like that throughout the movies as well, which you just have to call artistic license and move on. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm not even, yeah, I'm not even getting into, I'm not even getting into that. Uh, I'm right. just saying, uh, you know, there, it's, yeah, there's just so much, um, there's just so much flattening and uh, distortion to, um most of the well no all of uh, the supporting cast in in all of these films that in a lot of cases i recognize the versions of these characters but i don't really like or care for any of them and i am and i know far more about every single one of these people than i really should right. uh, than is useful 
to me in these in these films. And I still, uh, most of the time, can't bring myself to uh, care about... There's a fight scene here between uh, Gene and Cyclops at the end when, it's, uh, when Cyclops is all mind-controlled and shit. And it's like, I'm like, yeah, and I, I can't bring myself to really care because uh, we haven't spent any time with him. He's been kidnapped this whole movie, and he was just a dick in the last one. But he's a stroppy man who loves his bike. What more do we need to know? <laughs> uh, he's the fucking leader of the team. I would like at least a little bit more. No, uh, I know. I'm kidding. The, I'm kidding. He's the dude uh, who's supposed to be uh, keeping this whole sorry road show together. Or at least, you know, who has been groomed for that, uh, presumably by Charles off screen before Logan came into things. And Except so, that in this movie, it's, it's in this trilogy, rather, it appears to be Storm inexplicably that he's now put his... that to me, that to me inexplicably arises in the third movie, because between films, um, Halle Berry complained and campaigned for more screen time. Right. Um because she, again, she doesn't get near, well, she gets more in this one. She gets to, ooh, she gets an away mission uh, right. to Boston to catch Nightcrawler. Um, that's something. And she gets to drive the plane. Uh, okay, so that's two things, right? But but after that... Shut um, up, Barry, and take your check and fuck off. <laughs> exactly, uh, exactly. And uh, But, you know, forget about her for a second. Let's focus on her character, right? If Storm's supposed to be... Uh, the, or Storm suddenly becomes the lead, the you know the Charles's handpicked next in line, right? And if that's the case, then why the fuck does she has have so little screen time in the other two movies? That doesn't make much sense, except unless you know that it's because Halle Berry pitched a bitch until <laughs> to get more screen time in X three because she'd done Catwoman in between films, and we know how that turned out. <laughs> right? No, I mean. And like I don't disagree with anything that you're saying at all. I think that I come. What was nice about it was that when these movies first came out, and I remember the first one coming out. I think I went and saw the second one in the cinema. I think maybe I saw the first one on video. And then by the time the third one came around, I was like, eh, I'm just, I'm not interested. Eh. And then the, Good man. the instincts serve you well. Actually, well, with hindsight, it's different. But anyway, at the at the time, I was like, oh, I can't be bothered with it. Then the Origins came out, and I was like, oh. Then First Class came out, and I was kind of dismissive about that as well. And then everyone was saying to me, you remember, you said it to me as well, go see First Class, man. You'll love First Class. Rent First Class, find First Class. Yeah, I should never never say these things to you. I should just, yeah. No, I should stop. (laughs) No, it was fine. Then we were in Best Buy the other day, and Best Buy had a sale on all the Blu-rays of all the movies, like a really dirt cheap sale of all the X-Men movies because Wolverine's coming out, right? And they had the box set of all the double discs of the trilogy, and then they had First Class and and X-Men Origins Wolverine. And weirdly enough, the wife was there, and she's normally the, the, the person who has the final say on whether we spend the moolah, as it were, um, and, you know, just because that, that makes her feel important. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> just because, obviously, like, you want to both be in agreement when you're spending your money. And she was like, oh, I, I love the first couple of X-Men. Let's, let's, let's grab those. And me being, I just like owning movies. I was like, great. So I put them all and we bought them all. And then we came home and I was like, you know what? I really feel like watching them all. So we watched all five back to back. And actually... Um, I never got involved with the, 
what happened behind the scenes and who bitched for more money and why so-and-so was cast as what they were. I could just sit back 10 years later and go, okay then, what's this all about? And it was a really nice way to watch the films. It's kind of, it's, it's kind of difficult to do that because at the moment, you know, we're all embroiled in it. So when Amazing Spider-Man comes out, we know all the backstory, why they're doing the reboot and why this is happening and blah, 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 blah. And then well, when... Well, now, and, and some of us some of us spend our days haunting the, the, the internet, of Right, the internet's going to tell us all this stuff. And, you know, so we know everything about every movie and blah, 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 blah. Or us geeks do anyway about, about films because we love that fucking stuff. But I didn't know anything about that, about the X-Men, so I just sat down to watch it. And although I completely agree with all the character points you're talking about and who are these people and why they're doing what they're doing and why was that decision made and blah, 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 that, that completely is in the movies, and I agree with you. As, as uh, overall, watching all three films as, as, a, as a Saturday afternoon exercise or whatever, I, uh, I loved all three. Like I really got into the world. I think it was because I watched them like you may watch a TV show. You get into the world. It's not mm. necessarily always about um, what the plot of the week is or you know that it makes much sense that he loves her or she wants her or whatever in a soap opera. But it was just the idea that you could sit down and be in this world for three movies and the movies themselves were satisfying to me on a narrative level and a performance level and a directorial level because they're each directed to the well where there is the camera's not flipping all the fuck around. It's not <laughs> shaking. There's not a bunch of excessive nonsense, pointless CGI. It, it, it is what it is. And it's, it's a, I think with hindsight, having seen all the other comic book movies, they're a joy to watch. But it's difficult for people, I think, to get that distance if you haven't done it the way I've done it. And uh, at the same time, I would agree with you, at least as far as the first two are concerned. They are both competently made. Um, they are professional jobs. There is not a technical thing that I could really find fault with, except for a couple of special effects shots that needed more time. Yeah, I mean, the jet um, the jet never looks good. In any of yeah, the movies, the, black... the jet doesn't look good in any of them. But that's just CGI in the early 2000s. Yeah, that's, yeah, and that, yeah, that's, yeah, and that improves as time goes on, I would say. Right. In fact, the one thing, the one thing that I can say about X3, The Last Stand, is that, um, you know, as a technical, uh, at least in its technical aspects, it benefited from that extra year, uh, or no, the, from the three-year wait, right. I should say. Um, they all did, to an extent, except for Origins, but we'll get there. Let's, I mean, uh, I, but, you know, you like the second one the best. For me, the first and the second one kind of stands side by side. I don't have a problem with it. For, for, for me, the third one, uh, I don't notice a drop-off because I'm not, I wasn't enough of a singer fan to give a shit, and I, you know, I'm I was all about coming at this with a distance and just being like, I just want to see the conclusion of the the, the trilogy, and I didn't even realize that what I was about to sit down to watch was almost a definite uh, uh, conclusion to a trilogy. I just thought it was going to be another X Men movie, so. I was pleasantly surprised because also I had a bunch of people telling me, oh, it's the worst. Oh, it's fucking terrible. And Brett Ratner's an asshole. And the third X-Men's awful and blah, 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 blah. I'd heard all this for years. So me sitting down to watch it, I was like, what are people talking about? It's, a, it's as perfectly serviceable as the other two. So you tell me, dude, going on to the third one, what are your problems? 
my problems are that I do notice a uh, definite drop-off, at least in, not because I'm a singer fan, but because I'm a fan of uh, competent editing. Uh, <laughs> I don't know how much, well, no, I do know how much singer had to do with that, and uh, with, of competent storytelling that uh, effectively juggles all of its plot threads and brings them to some manner of satisfying conclusion. I feel that X3 uh, almost completely fails with that on pretty much every level. Uh, specifically, what people have... I don't want to put words in anyone's mouth, but what people have probably been uh, talking about uh, to you for years are uh, is the butchering of several critical uh, X-Men stories that uh, this film does right off, that are at the heart of The Last Stand's plot. Um, principally two of them that, uh, from two different decades, two different eras, that do not sit well together. Uh, the Dark Phoenix saga from the 80s and the, um, and the Cure storyline, which is from uh, a run in the 2000s originally written by Joss Whedon, uh, called astonishing uh, so to, just just to clarify for me because i'm i'm interested as well i'm interested in uh, the initial main problem was to do with a page to screen type thing adaption decay yes right. completely okay. um in both in both in case in the case of both stories because by combining them together um both of them are both of them are watered down to the point where they seem to well, they seem to be completely disconnected from each other until they crash together in the third act, uh, when you get the yeah, when you get the big climactic fight that a lot of people complain about, but that I consider to be pretty much the film's only good scene. Uh, well, no, that's not true. Not the only one, but it's the only good action scene that I can decently, well, not really care about, but at least I feel something. Uh, besides, you know, inarticulate rage at, <laughs> or mystified inarticulate rage at the decisions they made, at least with the at least with the end, I uh, at least with the end, I feel depressed. Um, but uh, with the rest of the film, it's just a constant. Uh, it's if you were to watch Last Stand with me, it would be uh, t- two hours of me going, okay, why the hell did they choose to do that? That is an incredibly stupid choice that, you know, you can change whatever you want in an adaption as as long as you don't change it into something less interesting. Which and, is uh, normally Hack Snyder's M.O. He takes something that exists that's really good and then he goes, I'm going to change it. And you go, why? I don't know why. I'm just going to do it because I'm kooky. And then he does it and it falls on its ass. Uh, I would disagree with that completely. Uh, I would say that that is, however, the MO of whoever was responsible for uh, X3, whether I don't want to blame Brett Ratner specifically because he was a hired gun and he was one of their last choices. And I think that shows in the level of competency of the storytelling. But yeah, they didn't want to, they didn't have uh, faith in their, in the material that, they chose to adapt. They didn't want to do the Phoenix, uh, so they concocted this needlessly convoluted uh, new backstory for her. Yeah. They didn't want... Well, they wanted to do the cure, but they didn't want to end the same way that the the comic book story arc ended 
with a giant uh, alien conspiracy and a trip into outer space. So they did this crazy pick and mix that uh, seems to me to be a departure from the previous films. I don't go so far as to say that, oh, no, it's not in continuity. It's completely, you know, completely different um, because it's not really. Uh, it's like it's like a whole bunch of time has passed, even though everybody looks pretty much the same, except for the people who were recast, <laughs> obviously. Um, <laughs> I do like... Uh, <laughs> I do like Ellen Page as as Kitty. That was a good choice. Right, but I mean, Kitty in the last, the, the previous ones doesn't really do anything. You see her run through a wall, I think, at one point. That's about it. Yeah, that's it. Right, and she phases through her bed when the strikers, uh, military right. guys, come rolling so then, in. I mean, that's I, it. I wouldn't even. I unless you told me, I wouldn't even know they were the same character. So. No, and and hey, I'm I'm giving that one uh, to the movie as a positive. Uh, right. I don't like, um, but of course, what's done with Kitty uh, is. Com- Completely asinine and stupid uh, because we have, oh, one love triangle ends and another begins, uh, except with the the younger cast members who've done even less and whom I care about, you know, even less. I mean, do, do you know oh, what's interesting, though, about the whole Anna Paquin thing? And I, obviously she's known for winning an Oscar for the piano uh, yes. when she was like two months old or however old she was. Yeah, negative nine. Right. You know. Back then. And obviously... I saw because, you know, uh, my wife's really into to vampires and stuff like that, but also I'm a like big geek boy when it comes to certain things. I sat through the first couple of seasons of True Blood, and she is... As did I. She is an appalling fucking actress. She's just abysmal. However, what's interesting about it is she won an Oscar for, like, the piano. In the first X-Men and a half movie... She's fine. She's fine. I have no problem with her at all. Slowly towards the second one, I'm like, mm, she's becoming worse. By the third one, because obviously now we're uh, six years in, she's got older than she was back back when the, the, the series started. We're three movies in, we're six, six years in. By the third one, she's being terrible Anna Paquin. And I could see, if you watch The Piano, the X-Men trilogy, and then True Blood, you see her become not a better actress as she gets older, but a worse actress as she gets older. Who how, who does that happen to? <laughs> it happens. Um, it happens to, actually, a lot of people who start out as child actors. Um, but it also happens when you have nothing, really, to play for three movies. I mean, what has Rogue's role been since she was the human MacGuffin of X-Men 1? Uh, Nothing. Uh, She's been standing in the background. She has something to do in the third one because she's the only X-Men you can kind of see why she would want to get rid of her power. uh, But at the same point, though, man, I am sick to death of these movies where, you know, superheroes... Lose their powers uh, for no other reason than to have some to add dramatic tension for an act or so. But that's not why they do it in the third one. No, no, she doesn't. That Rogue actually goes through with it, um, but she does it for a legitimate reason. Her power has no. Her power has very little benefit to it uh, because the writers of this series have no imagination. Yes. No. No. No, no, because the stories the writers of this series are telling can't put her power to particularly good use. There was one... I think we just said the same thing, yes. 
No, because to fit in her power... No, no, but what's to fit in her power being a benefit to something would have been to tell a different story than the one they're telling. I would argue choosing her as the, you know, MacGuffin in the first one or having her in it at all is kind of uh, odd. But anyway, it, it, she does at least have the arc that, you know, uh, in, in the first one, all the stuff that we're talking about, the fact that she's a human MacGuffin in the first one, and then and in the third then, one... That- so, yeah, I mean, in the she's third one. one of the few people you can actually understand. I want to get rid of my superpower. Nobody else. I don't understand why anyone else would want to get rid of their superpower, but she. I, I, I would want to. Oh, I they understand. do it. They do it for love. You see. Right, but that's fine. I don't mind that. It's kind of operatic and nice. I don't mind. That's not a problem. I've got no problem with that in terms of this particular trilogy. Just in the same way that Wolverine kills Jean Grey for the same reason. But there was one instant in the tri- in the trilogy where there is a villain. And I thought to myself, why have they not sicked Rogue on him and got her to, like, kill him by destroying his power by touching him or whatever? Um, and they don't seem to do that. Is there one bit in the third one where she kind of does? She touches someone on the leg. Who's that? I forget now. Um, she touches... Uh, no, it's in the second one. It's she in touches, the second one. Uh, she touches Pyro on the leg and That's stops it. him from That's killing it. those cops. Right, 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 right. So, she, I mean, that, that kind of has a use, but, you know... <laughs> And and that's the most uh, that they allow her to do right. in uh, any of these films. And this is a point in time where, uh, you know, I could really pitch a bitch about the, the decay of Rogue. Um, because she is supposed to be uh, much more headstrong and uh, sure of herself than she is allowed to be in any of these films. I mean, you know, personally, I'm glad to see this Rogue go. Of course, uh, well, cause because it's Anna Paquin, and you've seen in True Blood, when she plays a headstrong woman, it's annoying, man. But no, it's even, just in annoying. even in 2006, I was glad to see her go, because she does nothing, because and she's she not contributes nothing, except to stand around with love triangle face, and, that's, <laughs> and that is James Marsters' job. Uh, <laughs> well, James Marsters does nothing in the third one, but strop off and then get killed. So. Oh, he's Achilles, right? You know, the, and see, again... Uh, Again, Scott Summers is shafted. You know, instead of being the uh, upright badass that he should be and taciturnly carrying on in the face of death, uh, he's Achilles sulking in his tent until, oops, psychic gram, time to get back to the conclusion of the last film. And actually, if we can back up for a second, the one thing I don't like particularly about X2 um, is the ending. Because uh, in the end, spoiler alert uh, for a 10-year-old movie, uh, they're all piled in the jet, and a giant tidal wave is uh, coming in to hit them. But, and Jean, uh, supposedly, heroically, heroically sacrifices her life so that they can all, to hold back the water so that they can all take off, right? Right. The problem being, uh, among the people in that jet, uh, you have a person who can turn anything into ice. Right. And, and he does nothing. I mean, uh, but you see, dude, he's no need a, to crowd the boy. You can still have her hold back the wave, right? While right. he works his mojo. But does does anyone think of this? No, no. But does, th- okay, but this happens throughout. It's like I I tried to think when I was watching them. I tried to think like, hang on a second, couldn't he use his power to do that, or couldn't they use their thing to? And this is what happens with superpowers because there's only 
so few and most of them have the same end result or most of them get the same kind of thing because it's like, well, there's someone who can walk through walls, but there's also someone who can pop up from one this place and go into another place like Nightcrawl or whatever. When you look into this stuff, it's best not to too deeply because clearly they wanted to set up the ending for what it was. My biggest and problem was... Right there. That's the thing right there. They wanted... Well, Brian, someone wanted to do the Phoenix. <laughs> right, but they see... Again... So Gene had to die at the end. And besides, right. it's the second part of a trilogy, right? It's the Empire Strikes Back. It's we gotta rough, end on a down note. It's that's Wrath how these of Khan. Work. It's Wrath of Khan. They kill Spock. Mm. Good point. Yes. That, that's exactly what it is. Yeah, that's but, I, I can see it. Yeah, but you know, and they and you could argue in Wrath of Khan. Well, does Spock really need to go in there and like mend the thing? Couldn't they, like it's the future, isn't there a machine that does that? Or couldn't we just turn it off? Or like there's okay, admittedly, like Spock going in is fine, but like I'm just saying, isn't there a suit he could have worn or something? Like how else do they fix that reactor at the end of? Of 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 Wrath of Khan. How how would they fix the reactor if Spock wasn't there? If they weren't in a life to death struggle with you know an old adversary of Kirk. So you know there's there's lots of stuff that people do in movies just Spock to have. Was, Spock was actually supposed to die in the initial confrontation. Um, right, I know. In, no. But the the story leaked, so they changed it at the last minute. Right, and you know at least in that movie, and this is what's important in movies is is movie logic rather than necessarily realistic logic. Nicholas Meyer has the ability to say, at the beginning of the movie, Spark is talking logically about the needs of the many and the needs of the one, and blah 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 blah, and all that all that stuff that he's talking about at the beginning of the movie. To bring that back at the end of the movie is a nice little bow on top of movie logic. And that's what movies need. Movies in their structure, it's, it's the watch that is given to Bonnie Bedelia at the beginning of Die Hard being the thing that kills Hans Gruber at the end. It, it, is the, it doesn't necessarily mean a whole bunch of shit if it was in reality, but in the movie it's got to have that arc. And the the... the thing that I would say about the Jean Grey storyline in part three is that to some extent with the reveal that Professor X has built these mental walls to stop the schizophrenic aspects of her personality and all the rest of it coming out and so on, at least gives that pre-story to then what happens to her at the end of two, the beginning of three. And, Yes, it might have been better in a more realistic sense to have known that first, but at least they try and backpedal in three and give some kind of reason for why Jean Grey becomes the Phoenix and then what her being the Phoenix means, which is the idea that throughout this trilogy you've got the idea that Magneto and Professor X are like the all-knowing, all-powerful, ultimate X-Men, and they're like the level fours or whatever the fuck they're meant to be. But then here is here is a level five, and it's the one thing that scares the shit out of the level fours as well. And it, it's a, is it a brilliant piece of twist writing? No, but it's at least there's some interest there. There's some revelation there. There is the idea that there is grey aspects to Professor X and he's not just this wisdom spouting swami who knows everything. He has got these like compromises and he makes his own there he is, is in fact 
he is in fact responsible for every death the phoenix causes yes right and there is a certain ambiguous nature to the fact that he is okay doing that to her personality and he is okay there's there's some other stuff that he does in part two what's the reveal about him in part oh the fact that he hasn't told wolverine everything about striker and so so there are shades of gray gene gray (laughs) yes to professor x's personality which is at least nice to like drizzle those reveals throughout the movies and not just like this is our character and blah 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 you know yeah Um, it's it does add yes it does add some dimension that professor x has uh, deeply needed uh in these films up to this point and Um, it means that in three the thing that i like about three is that every single quote unquote good guy and or villain is ambiguous. In the third one, I find myself siding with Magneto way more than I find myself siding with the five or six X-Men who happen to plop themselves down to defend the army and the lab and all that at the end of it. I I far more stand with... Now, I don't stand with him once Magneto's like, they're the pawns, we just let them get killed. Obviously, I don't side with that business, but the... Uh, the actual, and they're trying to protect Cameron Bright, right? The, exactly, one of the yeah. deadest-eyed child actors I have ever seen. Right, oh, and God. you know, but I like the twi- I like the idea of there is an X Men whose mutation is to remove other people's mutations. That's like, I, I, I like that as an idea. No, is anything done with it? Not particularly, but I like it as an idea. It's a nice, it's yeah. a nice twist. It's a nice little thing in the movie that that's good i i like the operatic grandiose epic resolution to the thing i like the fact that they seemingly kill uh, uh professor x which is not something i saw coming i you know i there's a lot about that last movie i don't see the drop off in terms of production i don't know what people are talking about in terms of the direction of the production or whatever because i find singer a fairly singer is best when he's working with good scripted material which is why the usual suspects will remain his best movie because the script of that is so good but the True. but ultimately he's a very in terms of stylistic director he doesn't have much going for him and you don't watch a singer movie and go oh my god it's definitely a singer movie he's not a gilliam or a whatever and and so i don't really notice some big production drop off in the third one and we're going to start wrapping up the third one because we've got to get on to the other movies now but like to counteract that everything you're saying i do agree with to some extent i can't wholeheartedly get passionate about the page to screen stuff because it's not my background it's 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 not something that I've explored or examined. I come to this as a movie watcher, someone who dismissed it as not even worth watching uh, seven years ago when it came out. Sat down to watch it as the as as a third film in what I thought was just an ongoing franchise, and realized that it was the conclusion of a trilogy, and actually found it as a conclusion to the trilogy that was set up in the first two. Perfectly fine, and then like I've said before, on top of its A to B plot puts some window dressing. It drizzles a few characters here and there. It talks a little bit about political ideas and scientific ideas and, you know, oppression and and mutant versus mutant and mutants versus government. And it's got got a whole few bit, like, soupçons of stuff going on in it, just like the other two. I don't see the other two as these, like, 
perfectly, wonderfully scripted, crafted films, but they're entertaining as hell, and they make you think about some stuff, and they don't devolve into CGI's hit, CGI things hitting each other, and they've got more to say than just this guy's good but a little bit, like, cocky, and this guy's bad and, like, is just a fucking uh, antithesis of our hero... Like, you know, at least there's more stuff going on. And I'm basing it on other comic book movies. I'm not basing it on its source material. I'm saying that most comic book movies, you know, even the most successful of the Raimi Spider-Man movies, the bad guy is simply just a a, a Parker, like what Parker could have grown up to be type villain. It's It's not a big wonderfully drawn character piece you know what i mean but it, i do yes and so, i completely agree but you're saying x3 doesn't descend into cgi things hitting each other at the end no or? there is is there big spectacle at the end <laughs> yes but it's not cgi things hitting each other it's a strategically played out battle with a bunch of interesting things going on in it and a bunch of people at last dying Something that never happens in comic book movies, except unless you're the big main villain, in which case apparently it's okay. But, you know, Superman, Spider-Man, all those movies are about the protagonist saving people. Whereas the X-Men is all about exactly what Wrath of Khan is about. The idea that it's for ultimately the greater good... But the X-Men thing is, what is the greater good? Everyone, just like the guy in Day of the Dead says, the trouble with the world, Sarah Darling, is people have got different ideas about how to run things. And that's what it's about. And it's interesting to see movies that are about that, when normally you're seeing movies where you're like, okay, that's the good guy, that's the bad guy, eventually we're going to triumph. At the end of the second act, it's going to be, you know, a little bit of controversy or a little bit of conflict or a little bit of something. That'll be resolved by the end of the third act, normally with a big explosion and some CGI things hitting each other. Who wants more popcorn? You know, apart from that, there's more stuff going on in the X-Men trilogy. It's not all action. It's not wall-to-wall action. There's very few, like, massive set pieces throughout the whole trilogy. There are those requirements of course but ultimately they're they're serviced more often than not by the plot rather than the other rather than the plot going shit how do we get to the bit where they all fight there's actually a reason for them all to be doing it (laughs) yeah not much is true um yeah so that's why I enjoyed them, as opposed to I. Under, I but I do agree with everything you're saying about the characters. The, the characters are woeful. I've got understood. more to say. Um, because okay, I, I will would, give you three minutes. Say yes. Uh, well, no, I won't need that much. Um, really, yeah, my only problem then. Uh, well, no, not my only problem. But I would say that. Uh, yeah, I'm glad to hear all of that. Uh, from my perspective, uh, however, it was disheartening. I found it kind of disheartening to find, uh, A, that the gene that I had been following for two uh, movies was an artificial construction, basically, of Professor X's mind mucking. And B, that it was hard to care for uh, Professor X's death, having considering that it was the, well, pretty more or less logical end result of his previous actions. Um, and it was even... And after and after that, though the the entire uh, all of the character dynamics of the film completely fell apart for me because back at the back at the mansion we've got the B squad elevating themselves up because the A squad is all dead. 
And over at the Brotherhood of Mutants, uh, Magneto is taking the death of his former BFF amazingly well. He takes everything amazingly well. Uh, Except he has that great line to uh, Pyro when he says about Professor X or something later on. Oh yes, one one line, but but at the end, right? It's the it's all the death and destruction of that the Phoenix causes that makes him go, my God, what have I what have I done? All of those pawns apparently were that was just that was too much for him not seeing you know your best friend discorporated in front of you by yeah okay you know whatever uh yeah it and then at the end to have um well shit you cast ben foster as angel and he gets three scenes yeah i don't understand why that character's in there at all Fan service is what it is, and right. that's the that's the other thing that pisses uh, us off about these films. Uh, they think they are servicing us by jam packing them uh, full of all of these one note characters who run through the background for maybe a scene that uh, we're that you can just dismiss, not knowing the source material, or you can just treat as window dressing. Um, but we're supposed to know all of those people, and uh, we're supposed to immediately recognize them and uh, care by proxy, because, after all, are they not versions of characters that we know? And in some cases, that's true, and uh, they did a good job with Multiple Man. Uh, I'll give them that much, um, But for example. But in a lot of cases, uh, Juggernaut, Shadowcat, uh, Pyro in this film, though he had a decent job, he had a decent arc in X2. In X3, he's got nothing to do. I guess he's like a knight. Um, or no, he's he's there to give Iceman someone to fight in the climax, and that's it. I just don't understand why he suddenly becomes Magneto's second-in-command. Oh, uh, because I Magne- I, the, the, the because he's, I- he's, like, he's like us. He, he sees that sometimes he finds himself agreeing with, with Magnus. No, no, but I think that the problem is that Pyro is such a snot-nosed little shit who needs a good kicking in the face. There's I, that, too. I don't understand, <laughs> therefore, why Magneto, who is an intelligent, eloquent, opinionated individual aside from the fact he's all class that guy right and class aside from the fact that he's a very powerful mutant why he'd give this runt the time of day i've no idea other than he's just another guy who agrees with him so therefore he wants sycophants surrounding him which is absolutely fine but it doesn't it doesn't completely excuse why pyro is one of the chosen few and yet when you build an army you know you, you you go with the you go to war with the army you have not the one you you want, right? right. <laughs> and if you have a multiple man, why not just send him in as the pawns? You, that would be another question. But but now, see, I've got you doing it. <laughs> because, but you can do that about any of it. It's like if he can control metal and destroy destroy the Golden Gate Bridge, why not bring the lab down on itself and then just not have any of the movie? I mean, this is the problem with superheroes is that they are narratively wise in a movie. They're undone by their own superhumanness. And therefore, they have to tell the other stories, and they have to no, tell... The no, problem, the problem with superheroes is people, people don't have any fucking imaginations, man. They're not trying to wow, uh, or but they think... I think the problem with saying about think... the whole page-to-screen thing and whatever is that, that it's ignoring the fact that a, a movie works by certain rules, and a, and a comic book or a TV show or a serialized medium can work in a different way. And I think that because it's 
financially impossible or impractical to pump one of these movies out every six months. It, it would be nigh on impossible if you're just going to do it as a movie to give Juggernaut a movie, to give Angel a movie, to give Kitty Pride a movie, to give what They could do it, but, I mean, would it really honestly right any of the wrongs that it's in the characters uh, that in these three movies? Or is it better to tell these stories as an overarching, wider view of the world because it's called the X-Men, it's not called the Kitty Pride show or the Mystique show or whatever? There's, to my mind, I see no reason why um, you can't do both. At the, I do not see these things as mutually exclusive. And uh, I can, let's see, if you give me, yeah, about 45 minutes to page through some things, I can provide you plenty of examples of one-and-done stories uh, from the X-Men's history. 22 pages that uh, managed to do uh, all of those things all the things that we've been discussing. I mean, I'm with you, dude. If movies were quicker, easier, cheaper, and if they were willing to kind of say, you know what, let's not make each of these ones $200 million, you know, tentpole movies. Let's oh, no, 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 no. That's all red herring. That's the, I don't, no, no, I don't I'm, I'm, say, I'm saying I'm with you in terms of, instead of a trilogy, if you could have 10 of these movies, but instead of it costing a billion dollars, it was only going to cost you... Three, four hundred million dollars. You could have ten of these movies. The problem is they want them to be big, shiny tempo movies. We've talked before, I think, on the Captain America thing about wanting a low-budget Howling Commandos movie. I would happily go for a lower-budget movie about Rogue or a lower-budget movie about Angel or whatever. Do these little character pieces where they examine the characters and whatever. But the trouble is, even when they did X-Men Origins Wolverine, which is a good way to transfer over to that, it had to be this big thing. It had to be this, you know, uh, important thing. And ultimately, they ended up telling the same story as X-Men 2, and it became woefully redundant. Rather than saying, well, okay, let's do an X-Men Origins series is a really good idea. As long as you don't do a movie, a character that's been clearly established by three movies previously. Do a character we haven't seen before. Do a character that was in the background. Do a character that hasn't even appeared in the trilogy. Do some character that could be really interesting in a one-shot, as you say. And just do a series of those, but make them for drumroll, shock horror, <gasps> 30 or 40 mil rather than 300 mil. That's what... No, can't do that. None of them star Hugh Jackman, except for... The first one. Right. I, I, but do you understand what I'm saying? I'm, I'm talking about now wish fulfillment in I do. terms of... I, no, I do. And, and I'm right there with you. Because um, what happened? What happened? Look at, look at Hollywood you in know, general. If wishes were horses. True. But look at Hollywood in general. If you want a character-driven piece, right, you want a little intimate character-driven piece, it's normally going to be a low-budget movie. Nine times out of ten, the character pieces, the things about family, the things about love, the things about death, the things about... You know, the psychosis of man and big, you know, whatever it is. These little character movies, they tend to be your 20, 30 mil movies, if that, right? And, you, and your big they movies... They used to be. Now you can't, now you supposedly can't make that kind of movie anymore. anymore. Well, although they have You've been. You've got to I mean, go we, through, like, the independent circuit or something to do that. But I, I see what you mean. But by the same token, you know, no, I do not, I do not accept the premise, um... It's of this whole line of reasoning. Uh, these don't need to be um, intimate character-driven pieces, uh, like we were saying initially. They just need better dialogue 
and uh, that more clearly defines the the characters on screen. That I would um, agree with. I mean, you but look they've at... they have fallen into um, they've fallen into the trap, or especially by X three, I'd say they've fallen into the trap that the worst of their own source material so often falls into of letting characters be defined by their superpowers because right. that's quicker and easier, and that lets you get to the fight scene. Uh, Agreed. Sooner. Agreed. I mean, I was just trying to think. Apart from maybe the, apart from maybe the fact that people didn't know who the characters were, the best thing about the Avengers was that, with one or two lines of dialogue, Whedon is very good at summing up, if not the whole character, then at least the predicament the character finds itself in at that any given moment. Bingo. And. and- Yes, if you had Whedon, someone who is, because he comes from TV writing, and because he comes from big casted TV writing, he is deft at uh, doing multiple characters and giving them all reasons and purposes and depths and stuff like that. And... Some of the best, some of the best comic book writers are exactly the same way, right. um, for pretty much the same reason. You have to meet a deadline. Right. You don't have time. You got to get that shit out, and you got to get it out fast. And it's got to be good if anybody's going to remember it in six months. And he did all that. Even he did all that on top of them making what essentially is Avenger prequel movies like Thor and and, and Captain America. Which, you know, as we've talked about before, all service the, the, the greater good of bringing the Avengers to the screen, ultimately. But, um, but because the Avengers, but because, paradoxically, I would add, because the Avengers exists, uh, are rendered completely redundant and uh, largely unnecessary, with the possible exception of one or two movies. So who are who are rendered pointless? And- the the Marvel, uh, the, the, the actual Marvel Universe films, from Iron Man to Iron Man... Well, from Iron Man to Captain America. That's what I'm saying. The, the, yeah. the, the Avengers is so well written that apart from the character arc of Iron Man or Tony Stark, actually, uh, which follows right through to the ending act of the Avengers, which you kind of do need at least to have seen Iron Man 1 to appreciate. Not so much Iron Man 2, but Iron Man 1. Um, apart from that, you're right. The Avengers could just be, here's the first movie, The Avengers. Boom. We don't need any of the other films. And you're right. I think that X-Men could have been done like that and, and yes, would have been an even more successful trilogy. But to close out the trilogy once and for all, I would say that aside from that, and I completely understand that, and I do agree with what you're saying about that, given what it has, the creative people behind it, and the performers, whatever, and, and the the lip service and all the other stuff it's got to do within the trilogy for a non you know heavily invested person like myself going into this trilogy I was my eyes were opened by it I was refreshed by it I got a new love for what comic book stories and comic book characters and superhero stuff could do uh, I I loved the you know, window dressing as I've described it, as much as I love the A and B plots. And I thought that in comparison to other comic book movies, not necessarily in comparison to either their source material and or the works of Joss Whedon, uh, it was done successfully. And that's how I would end my particular opinion on it. 
And I am heartened to hear that uh, because that does me joy. That does tell me that the, for, every, for all their faults, they have succeeded in their primary goal, which is, of course, as far as I'm concerned, creating space for more comic book movies. Indeed, indeed. And I agree with that entirely. Okay, so that's the end of part one. Here is the intermission. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.